0: The next time you chat with your bank or your client's bank, ask them how to join their partner program, how to get partner perks, how to get cash rewards, or if they can list you in a directory to help you get more clients. I'd bet money that they would say, no, we don't do that. But if Relay is your firm or client's bank, they would say, yes, we do that. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor Relay later in the
1: episode. Ever wished you could earn CPE credits while on the go? Introducing Earmark, the app revolutionizing the way accountants earn their CPE. Just listen to your favorite accounting and tax podcasts, whether you're driving to work, working out, or even doing chores. After you're done listening, take a quick quiz. Score 70% or higher, you've earned your CPE. It's that easy. Plus, with Earmark, you're not just ticking a box. You're actually learning valuable insights from top accounting podcasts. So why wait? Download the Earmark app now on iOS or Android and transform your listening time into CPE credits. Make the most of your day and stay ahead with Earmark. We had some information about how much the big four spend on lobbying. That's what I was going to touch on quickly. Lobbying Congress?
0: I feel like it's shockingly a low amount. All combined, they only spent, they're directly lobbying Congress, they only spent $9.4 million. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio. Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And Blake, you were right again. Remember how you were right that crypto was a scam? And then two years later, it turned out like, yeah, like FTX happened and it turns out it's a scam in many cases. Well, you're right about something else. And this is actually, didn't even take as long. Like it wasn't a two year horizon prediction. I feel like you might've predicted this
1: in April or May. I think it, I think it was earlier this year. Yeah. We were talking about this deep fake technology And specifically with audio, that's where it started. These tools with generative AI started to develop that could mimic your voice, right? So uh, we can actually do this right now, David. We have technology. We have software that we use to produce this podcast where we can feed in me speaking for an hour, and then it can generate an artificial voice, and we can type text, and it will sound like me. Yeah, Uh, I can
0: record your voice and call Bank of America and... It could do the f- voice prompts on the phone to get me into your account.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so like that's already been done. Audio deepfakes are a real thing. You can't trust them. So if somebody calls you, there's no way to know if it's really them without asking them questions to verify. Uh, and a great example of this was the Joe Biden deepfake voice message. Did you hear about that one, David? I was, I think I heard something like encouraged people to not vote or something. Yes, <laughs> like, yes. Okay. Yeah. So some, some group, we don't really know who, I, I never heard who, uh, paid to send deep fake voice messages as Joe Biden out to uh, voters in one of these early states and told them, don't go to the polls, right? Trying to suppress turnout. And of course, that technology could be used to do fraud, right? Uh, call up the treasury personnel, call up the CFO, pretend to be the CEO and make a transfer.
0: Well, Snoop Dogg, remember he called me about my about getting an ERC loan. Remember that? Oh yeah, the yeah, Snoop yeah,
1: Dogg yeah. fake yeah. I remember that. Um, so, it's gone another level, David. We are at the video deepfake stage of fraud now, and this headline in CNN is truly disturbing. Finance worker pays out twenty five million after video call with deepfake chief financial officer. So the story here is that in Hong Kong. A finance worker at a multinational firm joined a video conference call. Think of it like a Zoom call. I don't know what platform they're using, but probably Teams, Zoom, something like that, right? And they're on the call with who they think is the CFO and other people. There were multiple people on this call. But according to Hong Kong Police, it turned out that the finance worker was the only real person on the call. All of the other talking heads in the video conference were fake they were created by deep fake technology.
0: This is like movie movie type scenarios like where right? you
1: do this big crime and everybody yeah. It's not that the worker wasn't suspicious. The worker had grown suspicious after he received a message that was purportedly from the company's UK-based chief financial officer. Initially the worker suspected it was a phishing email as it talked of the need for a secret transaction to be carried out. However, the worker put aside his early doubts after the video call because other people in attendance had looked and sounded just like colleagues he recognized. Believing everyone else on the call was real, the worker agreed to remit a total of 200 million Hong Kong dollars, about 25.6 million US dollars. This is one of several recent episodes in which fraudsters have used deepfake technology to modify publicly available video and other footage to cheat people out of money. Really scary stuff. How and, do you know on a video call if the person is
0: real? And I know for a fact on this podcast, these words have came out of my mouth and yours as well, and when it came to like a lot of AP fraud or like, oh, or people changing bank accounts or routing numbers, like you should probably work with your clients and get a second way to verify that. Right. So if they send you an email, maybe get a phone call or maybe set up a Zoom call. But apparently that doesn't, that's not going to work anymore. Like, how do you actually verify things now? Do you have to drive and meet in person?
1: No, I don't think so. You and I came up with a simple solution that everyone listening should implement. We have a code phrase, a passphrase that you and I know. And so if you call me and tell me to transfer some money or ask me to do something, or if I call you and ask you to transfer money, you can verify that. I am who I say I am by asking me for the passphrase. And we, we haven't shared this with anyone else, right? So a fraudster would not have this passphrase. And so do you have to have a separate passphrase for every single client? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe you put that in your one password or your last pass, I don't know. Uh, or, or another alternative is like, use a secondary secure system to authorize payments and do not go outside of that system right? So you always want to have multi-factor. Multi-factor means more than one way of verifying somebody's identification. So uh, if you're using a system like, say, a bill.com or a Relay or a Melio, with ha- which has built-in approvals, you can simply say, like, this is we've got to use this system, right?
0: That's that's the other problem. I think a bigger issue this is that Shouldn't have gone through some approval? Like, did he? This one person just send the money, or doesn't somebody else have to be like, okay, let let me look at this before we hit send on this two hundred million dollars? I'm surprised that.
1: I mean, actually, I'm not surprised because this happens a lot in in corporations. But like the fact that one person had authority to wire twenty five million U S dollars, the equivalent of twenty five million U S dollars without any of anyone else being involved, like it's not clear here if anyone else was involved or if there were any internal controls like that that concerns me a little bit um but there are people in organizations that have to have that authority right you, you, somebody has to have the the keys to the vault right somebody has to have wire transfer authority so I think the best way to overcome this is Have some internal controls around this and and use passphrases with your people. Don't rely on just a video or an audio confirmation call. There's got to be something else going on. Thanks, everyone, who has joined us live today. Boring Accountant, great to have you here. Hope you're enjoying your coffee. Good morning, Cameron. Boring Accountant says, Any transaction that large should have multiple persons approving and verifying independently as part of controls. How did the vendor for payment get onboarded so quickly? Yeah. Well, so that's a good question, right? Um, yeah. Where was this payment going to? And there should be a system. I've worked with some large companies and there's always like a, usually there's a purchase order system. There's a
0: oh, we vendor do, it onboarding takes, system. It takes us 12 weeks to get a $1,500 payment from some companies.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in that case, it's like too, too much control, right? Like yeah. maybe lower it for like something under $10,000 or whatever, yeah. right? But Anyway. We predicted this. It has happened. And I would expect to see more of this in the future. And the tech is just going to get more and more sophisticated. So it's a brave new world out there. That's because Maybe we shouldn't use so much technology, Blake. <laughs> All right, David, let's move on to QuickBooks news. You have a big update about QuickBooks Live tax. There was an email that went out to it seems like every pro advisor in the country. Well, I, I, I looked through, I didn't get it at first, but then I looked through my like news folder where I filter out all the marketing stuff and I found it. So yeah, there was an email that went out and it was like QuickBooks
0: Live tax update. Understand QuickBooks customer's use of tax prep services. And the email kind of summarizes what they're going to do. So it's starting this month. So it wasn't even like this was a, uh, hey, we're thinking of doing this in the future. Like we're starting it this month, and I think this is what really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. It just was like a surprise right here, you know, first week of February, second week of February, whatever we're in right now. <laughs> and so they drop this in, and essentially what they're doing, and I'll switch to the screenshots for the people that are uh, watching the live stream. They're gonna pop a message inside on the taxes tab of QuickBooks Online. So this is not an email to your customers that could just get ignored or swiped, swiped away, or put in a junk folder or whatever. It's going to be in the QuickBooks Online product. And they're going to have a screen that says, ready for taxes, your accountant's
1: here for you. And it looks... So my client, client is in their QuickBooks Online. Yep. And they're going to see this message.
0: They will see this message if they click on the taxes tab, apparently.
1: Okay. What's it say?
0: And it says, ready for taxes, your accountant is here for you. And it looks like you're already connected with somebody who might be able to help. So they're recognizing that you are connected to a pro advisor already. Like Got somebody's it. doing, somebody's help, there's an accountant helping you with your bookkeeping. It's very clear. And they say, does an accountant file your annual business taxes for you? And they give two buttons. One button says, no, I file annual business taxes myself. And the other button says, yes, an accountant files for me. So in okay. terms trying to determine, you have the QuickBooks, they already know there's hundreds of thousands of QuickBooks online users that don't have accountants at all but now they have this subset of QuickBooks Online users that have an accountant helping them with QuickBooks Online, and this is that next layer down. Okay, you hundreds of thousands of QuickBooks Online users, is anybody helping you with your taxes? So depending on how they click that button, right? So if they say, yes, an accountant files for me, uh, Intuit drops them to a new page, another window will pop up. These are just screenshots, so I don't know exactly how it's gonna fully work. And they basically tell you to reach out to your accountant and start preparing your return. And they even give uh, some FAQs, like here's documents you might need to give your accountant to do your return. So they're kind of at, at one level. They're sending people to the existing accountant to start doing the return, right? And then on the but other direction- what
1: if they click
0: no? If they click no. So if they click no, they get dropped it into a product called Live Assisted Tax, Unlimited Expert Help Filing Self-Employed Taxes. And then obviously it pulls your company type, S Corp, or whatever from your QuickBooks settings. And it offers the TurboTax business product directly inside of QuickBooks online.
1: For preparing my business taxes with assisted help. So it's not full service. It's the assisted product. It's assisted product. Like the regular TurboTax for 1040s for individuals. Yes. So people are upset about this?
0: Yeah. So people are all over the board. I mean, you get the typical like Intuit is evil. I'm done with Intuit. And if we we went back to when QuickBooks Live was launched and, you know, the same pitchforks were out there. But I I was actually thinking about this. I was 20 years old, 21 years old, working at the mall when, like, QuickBooks Desktop came out, DOS. Mm -hmm. And at that time, accountants were all upset with Intuit. So this has been, like, a 40-year-old dance, right, that just never really kind of ends. But the opinions were kind of all over the board. I think most people were really upset because... They didn't ask for feedback first. They just did it. it, you know, they're great. They're bra- sometimes Intuit's brazen and they just make decisions. But Andrew McDonald, I thought, summarized it pretty good um, that if you think they're your competition, you need to stop worrying about that and just focus on taking care of your clients. Because I think at the end of the day, if if your client's happy with the tax work you're doing for them, they're never going to click, no, I don't have an accountant doing my taxes, right? So right. It, I think you have if bigger problems, yeah. right? If Intuit right. steals them. Jason Stats had an interesting comment that, he said that it feels like it's it's been communicated and all the feedback from QuickBooks Live, like that's all been pretty stable, but the sentence that caught my eye from Jason Stats was, imagine what the tax system would look like without TurboTax,
1: right? Well, it, so it wouldn't function.
0: If, if you had 40 million more individuals that need returns done, yeah. are just on the market which we have no labor to yeah to to get to the finish line on that
1: so i i think that's that's fair right like TurboTax fills a crucial role in the marketplace and it's not possible for all the accountants all the tax preparers to do this work like there simply aren't enough of us anymore it's like half of all the tax returns in the country are now done by software with with software uh and We gotta remember that this is an assisted service. So it's still do it yourself. The client, if they choose this, will have to do a lot of work in software to get their tax return done. And yes, there's the option with assisted to book a time with somebody who pops up in the corner of your screen in a video call that's one way and will help you solve problems. But this is a very, very basic service. So if your firm is focused on this, like, if, if your firm is that similar to TurboTax Assisted, where you're making your clients do a lot of work, then yeah, you should be worrying. But most firms are much more full service. They're doing it for the clients. And, and so it's a different product, right? Like, that's why you're not competing with Assisted. And, and, if, and if your service is so bad that your clients would rather do it themselves, like, that's a problem for your firm. That's not, that's not Intuit's fault.
0: Well, and that's, I think the jump here is if you're already offering them bookkeeping services and maybe your firm itself doesn't offer tax services, you should already know every single client how they're getting their taxes done, hopefully. Right? So in theory, if you're if you're doing bookkeeping services for a client, hopefully you're shepherding them to someone who's a professional that's helping them with their taxes. So mm-hmm. in theory, every one of your clients should all be saying no to this question. Right? Like, yeah. Because- Every one of your clients should be working with a tax professional and if if they say no, maybe they don't think you're a tax professional. <laughs> I don't know it's like it it's not like I think this is a more of a bigger play on the industry in the there's just too much work and there's not enough bodies to do it. and this goes back to me getting fired from an accounting firm yeah Then I go to the next accounting firm down. I, That accountant took me on as a client. I pay a little bit more money. He probably got through to three or four clients and it just trickles down. So you have this whole vast chunk of the population that don't have accountants and Intuit sees that and they're like, well, we're gonna go take it. And that's, that's kind of what's happening here, but it's not just Intuit. This episode of the accounting podcast is sponsored by Relay. Hey Blake, back when you had your own firm, how many hours a week did you spend scouring through messy
1: transaction data
0: when you were working with your clients?
1: Hold on, David. Let me check my timesheets. Oh. Looks like, uh, on average, 25.3 hours. Wow. And how many times did your bank feeds break? Countless. I, I'd have to go back and look at my two-factor authentication codes in my messages. I don't know how far back it goes, but it was enough where it was a huge pain in the butt. Well, what if I told you that there was a banking solution that was free that could have saved you
0: three to five hours of work per client per month? Three to five hours per client? Tell me more. It's 2024 and the banking headaches that you had when you had your own firm have been eliminated by Relay because Relay's business banking is designed for accountants and their clients. Collaboration between clients and accountants on Relay is easy and secure. Every client you invite to Relay gets added to your firm's partner portal. That means role-based permission levels for your firm staff, direct bank feeds to QuickBooks Online and Xero, and statement syncs with HubDoc and Dext. Ultra-detailed transaction data that speeds up reconciliation and leads to less back-and-forth with clients. Plus, Relay's new partner program introduces meaningful cash rewards for advisors, more partner perks, and an advisor directory to help you find more clients who already bank with Relay. To learn more more About using Relay with your firm and clients, head over to accountingpodcastpromo relay. That is accountingpodcast.promo forward RELAY. I'll share this article here. So in TechCrunch, they actually have, I'm sorry, not TechCrunch, this is Crunch based news. They had a big article come out this week about how AI will be, be doing more accounting if startup investors have their way. Right? And they have a chart in here of like all these AI related Start accounting-related startups and how much money they've raised. Then it's hundreds of millions of dollars these companies have raised. But if you really start looking at it, it's all volume plays. They're automating stuff with AI. They're that's volume play, volume play, replace work, help people get stuff done. And then just this week, and when you say actually,
1: when you say volume play, you mean like Restaurant Three Sixty Five is going after massive numbers of restaurants and automating the accounting, inventory, scheduling, payroll, and HR for them.
0: Yeah, so then they're building the so they're they're doing it kind of all under one umbrella, right? Mm-hmm. And when you do everything under one umbrella, you know, if you're the point of sale and you're the restaurant uh, inventory management system and restaurant expense management system all in one thing, you're going to be able to scale more and do more work, right? Um, and so what caught my eye though is three raises happened this week, or there's four, but three of them I, I saw. Really...
1: Penny Lane, Penny Lane yeah. was a big one, right? So we can
0: start with Penny Lane. So Penny Lane had a raise they raised another $40 million and now they're valued at $1 billion. Now, Penny Lane's based in France. So if you go to their website, you have to like do Google translate to read the actual website. But basically they're the QuickBooks or Zero of France. They have relationships with small business owners, but they also have relationships with accountants. Now they say right now, they don't wanna damage that relationship with their professionals, right? Mm. But if it comes down to the same thing where there's people that, there's more work than there are accountants to do it. I would not be surprised if Penny Lane starts to get into this space as well. But their play to scale is they're they're connecting to everybody's uh, APIs and using AI, right? To do a front end for the small business and then the back end for the accountants, right? But, it, but it's it's
1: scale, right? They're trying to scale that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, another
0: I one think that- That's interesting because
1: hit... when Penny Lane started, it sounded more like a services business to me, like an accounting firm than a software company but it seems like they're now more of a software company than a services business, which makes sense because if you wanna be a unicorn, you can't do it as a service business quickly.
0: And and, then I don't know if it's a marketing thing. I know the one corner of their website clearly says, um, Pennyland is not an accounting firm. They're going out of the way to say that, but I think you're right. I think I remember it being more of an accounting firm with tech, right? Yeah. Uh, Another interesting race, this this one, uh, Data Snipper, if you you can pull it up if you want, datasnipper.com. Okay. They raised $100 million at a $1 billion valuation. And basically their play is to do more with, with less labor. And what their app is, I mean, we've all done, played with OCR apps, you know, the, the bills, on you scan the bill, it's on the right-hand side of the screen, on the left-hand side of the screen is the field. So you click on the date and it populates on the, the other side of the screen, the date field. Imagine if that was an Excel for auditors. So now every bill, W2 tax form, anything you have to tick and tie, it'll scan that. And then you click the field and it puts it into a field in Excel. And this company, apparently they're saying they now have 400,000 auditors using this product Mm -hmm. now. And, and, and they might be like, oh, we got a contract with Deloitte, so let's count all their employees. I don't know how they're counting this, but it just seemed like a lot of usage.
1: Interesting. They're um, listing Deloitte, KPMG, RSM, Baker Tilly, BDO, Hilton, uh, Siemens, Grant Thornton, yeah. Frontier Airlines. So basically, take a bunch of documents, drop it into the system, and it makes an Excel table with all the fields that you want. And then you can click on a field, and it shows you the document. It takes you
0: back to the source doc, right?
1: Yeah. So this is... This is a great example of technology that could be used in accounting in a lot of different ways, especially audit. But I could see this being really useful for anyone who has to make work papers from source documents.
0: Yeah, yeah. and, and this is, you could argue this is t- competing. It's taking away people's jobs, taking away auditors' work, right? You could think of it I don't want to do that
1: work. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and then the other one that came out uh, this week and had another raise, um, Platform Accounting Group raised $85 million and it's platformag.com essentially yeah. the play here is let us help you scale your boutique accounting firm by us
1: doing your back office right i like i like the name because it says what the, how probably how they describe it to investors, investors right we are a platform for accounting firms right. we're just going to call it platform accounting group <laughs>
0: But at the same time, they're going to scale too because now they have your office and your employees working for them. So it's a, it's a little confusing because it looks like it's a it's really a play for them to acquire and buy this emerging is, firms.
1: This is a roll-up
0: scheme. It's a roll-up scheme. But it's, it's all about scale. Now, they just took another $85 million to go do yeah. more of this. Um, and then the last one to kind of touch on is uh, finally – So finally, Finally. we talked about them before because I think they had a great pricing page at one time. We had them up on the show. They raised $10 million. Now, previously they had a a round of $95 million in 2022, but their product used to be called Back Office. I don't know if you remember that at all. No. But finally, if you go there, essentially- the website? Yeah, finally. Just finally.com? Yeah, finally.com. Okay. And, And the play there is they're really an accounting firm with tech right? But the reason the reason they're going to scale and solve for labor problems is they're doing everything. So example, if I go there and I click to get tax services done, the first thing they do is they make me either buy bookkeeping service, their bookkeeping product, their banking product, so my accounts re- uh, receivable and bank accounts, or mm-hmm. I do um, my spend management card. So they, they're controlling all the data and that's how they're going to scale mm. to their tax returns. You can't just sign up and get your tax returns done you have to become a client of their products first and that, they, that way is they control how you the data
1: and that is how you build scale in a services business is you you put rails on your clients by making them use the software that you use to do the service
0: yeah and so they they have their own bank they have their own spend card right mm-hmm. so they're forcing people to use their whole product stack in order to get your taxes done and that's how they're going to scale
1: yeah Amazing. Well, thank you for that roundup, David. The the platform one, um, that one, I want to go back to that one. Yeah. What is it called? Platform accounting That's group. It. I think this one, this is this is going to be big. This or something like it. There are so many small firms that do not have succession plans. And currently their only option is to merge into a midsize accounting firm, um, which has significant downsides for, you know. It can be a good thing, but it can also be not a great thing. So this is an alternative, is merge into one of these private equity backed groups. Although maybe the mid-sized firms in these platform plays are going to end up being the same thing because we just saw that Baker Tilly is now private equity owned, majority private equity owned. Accounting Today reported that Baker Tilly got private equity investment. A pair of firms, Hellman and Friedman and Valleus Capital Partners are giving, uh, taking a majority stake in Baker Tilly, and it's the biggest accounting firm to date to accept PE funding. This is a top 10 firm. They're Chicago-based. say how much? Uh, well, they said that it's a 55% majority stake in Baker Tilly advisory. So um, in order to do this, Baker Tilly has to split the firm into two groups. There's the group that has the audit attest because there's restrictions on ownership of that and then everything else gets put into a corporation. And now the private equity firm is gonna own 55% of the, well, it's it's called Baker Tilly Advisory Group LP. So I don't know what the corporate form is of that, but that's the idea. Um, The firm had 1.8 billion in revenue. So this is a 1.8 billion revenue firm that's now gonna be privately owned. And it's in the top 10. So there's been a lot of chatter on Reddit, on forums, you know, um is this going to be good for the staff? Is this going to be good for the future partners? It's certainly good for the partners because they get an immediate payout today. They don't have to wait till retirement. But if you were about to make partner, now what's going to happen to you, right? Yeah. You're in, you're in this limbo now. Yeah. So it's very interesting. We've got traditional accounting firms, traditional partnership model firms now competing with private equity-backed corporate firms, basically. These are corporations, the way they're being run, uh, or the way they're set up now. And we'll see what, what wins. I feel like the problem with the partner model, as Dan Hood wrote in Accounting Today this week, is that it's uh, slow and difficult to adapt because you have to get consensus from everyone. Whereas with a corporation, right, your board of directors appoints the CEO, and there they go. So we'll see.
0: You have any other Big
1: Four news? We had some information about how much the Big Four spend on lobbying. That's what I was going to yeah, touch on quickly. Lobbying Congress?
0: It, it, I feel like it's shockingly a low amount. Like, what, what would, keep in mind, what, what did uh, EY do? Did they do like $60 billion in revenue? Like What were some of these numbers, right?
1: Yeah, it's tens of billions of dollars
0: in revenue. This might be $100 billion if you add all four of them together, right? How much do you think they should spend on lobbying, like to actually help the accounting industry? Uh, I I
1: mean maybe they could pitch in a billion.
0: Copy all combined, they only spent. They're directly lobbying Congress. They only spent nine point four million dollars.
1: Seems rather small. I mean and I don't I know. See, maybe it's I, a lot. I'm a I, congressman I don't
0: know. and I know how this. All right, let's pretend I'm pretend superintendent of my congressman. I know how this works. I see. Well, you're you got sixty billion dollars in revenue. Like, I need you to donate more to my campaign, to more to my lobby and my, my interests, whatever those might be. It just yeah. feels like, no wonder we have the problems that we do. We're not, we're not getting the political influence we need as an industry because there's not enough money being spent on lobbying. Other industries are spending hundreds of millions of dollars on lobbying.
1: So this was reported by Amanda Icone uh, on BloombergTax.com. And the major thing apparently that they've been spending this money on lobbying for is to include accounting and STEM right? Science, technology, engineering, math, and put accounting in there. So it becomes steam. And I guess that would somehow help solve our pipeline crisis by getting more students interested in accounting in high school. But like, you know, I think, I think there, there are better ways to improve the pipeline, other than just, you know, a designation that accounting is part of STEM.
0: Yeah, there, there's no lobbying on making- But you know what? How much does the AICPA
1: easier? spend on lobbying- Is the question, because a lot of the money from these big four firms goes to AICPA and then AICPA lobbies. So that's what I'd be curious to know.
0: Does AICPA
1: spend lobby... While you look that up, let's take a look at the comments. Uh, WIVT said, regarding Data Snipper, I use it every day, used it for vouching and audit, using it for tax return version comparisons, catches missed amounts slash boxes you didn't hit. That's so cool. And regarding Baker Tilly, as someone who knows someone who is a young staff that works there, they told us that we should be excited, but didn't go into details. Did you find out, David? I did find out.
0: It's very depressing. The AICPA only spent $375,000 on lobbying in 2023, making them the 1,300th rank of 9,000 lobbyists. Did you say 100,000? 300,000. 375. Let's round it up. 400,000. How is that? Then you wonder why. Nothing gets better.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy.
0: This episode of the accounting podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks. Imagine a world where you can break free from data entry nightmares and showcase your firm's value with ease. This world exists today and it's made possible by FreshBooks. FreshBooks accounting software is the only platform that offers you collaborative accounting, a better way of working for accountants and clients so you can get back to doing what you love, building your expertise and growing your firm's advisory services. FreshBooks supports you every step of the way with technology-enabled workflows, advanced accounting features, and seamless integration to tools like SIFT, Tally4, and more plus you'll benefit from practical hands-on training and certification and let's not forget that freshbooks offers dedicated best-in-class accountant centric support for you and your clients picture this a smooth effortless experience for your clients paired with real-time accurate financial data all in one central place that is the freshbooks edge become a freshbooks accounting partner today to transform your practice with collaborative accounting and enjoy all the perks that comes with partnership to get started head over to accountingpodcast.promo freshbooks that is accountingpodcast.com promo forward slash
1: F-R-E-S-H-B-O-O-K-S. Well, let's talk about the worst Wall Street Journal opinion piece I have ever seen in my time on this planet, David. (laughs) And that is the headline, beware of e-filing your tax return. Yes, somebody wrote an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal and their argument is beware of e-filing your tax return. This is by Jay Starkman. And I saw the headline, I looked at it with disbelief and I thought do we really we don't need anyone helping to push the accounting profession backwards in time, right? But this guy is actively trying to like hold us back from technological innovation and encourage taxpayers to get their accountants to file on paper. like the, why, why does he feel the need to do this, is my question. And, and then, going beyond motivations, I read the article. And it just doesn't even make sense. He's saying in this article that it's safer. Starkman says it's safer to file on paper than to file electronically. And he calls out some data breaches that happened years ago. But he also never even examines the risks of filing on paper, like sending stuff through the mail, which people could open or misplace or make copies of. Well, he argues even that the mail is better because you get a post stamp,
0: a certain date and time, and you don't have to deal with time zones and computers. <laughs> like, and then you won't be late. I don't know. It, the whole it did. I, I was kind of. I read it, and then I was like, "Is he arguing that people shouldn't?" It, it was hard to
1: comprehend, right? What, what yeah. the argument is. So most of his examples have to do with CPAs who didn't file in time and so the client got penalized or simply didn't file at all. But that could happen with a paper return too. Like It doesn't even make sense. I am shocked that the editors at the Wall Street Journal opinion the desk even saw fit to print this because it doesn't make logical sense. And I'm going to read one of these to you. Here's an example. Wayne Lee's CPA failed to e-file his client's returns for 2014, 2015, and 2016. Oh shit, three years? He didn't file his returns? Continuing on. The accountant told the IRS that the software he used couldn't handle Mr. Lee's complex returns. But Mr. Lee said the accountant never told him about this problem. In 2019, the IRS assessed Mr. Lee more than $70,000 in penalties and barred him from applying a six-figure 2014 overpayment to taxes owed in 2015 and 2016. An appellate court ruled that the reliance on a CPA wasn't an excuse for making errors. So, let me get this straight. The argument for filing on a paper return, I mean, like in this case, the CPA couldn't file electronically, so he just didn't do it. And then the client was hit with penalties. I don't see what that has to do with paper versus e-filing. He just didn't do the job. (laughs) It has nothing to do with paper or electronic filing. Um, Another example is somebody, Roy Nutt. What a great name. Roy Nutt with two Ts. He filed his tax court petition on the day it was due at 11.05 p.m. Central Time. That meant it arrived at 12.05 a.m. the next day in Washington, where the tax court is located. The court rejected the filing because it was five minutes late. An appeal is pending. Had Mr. Nutt mailed a hard copy to the tax court, postmarked before midnight it would have been accepted uh find a post office that's open at midnight i would like to see that
0: yeah and i don't think they they don't do that on tax deadlines anymore where you when everything was in mail and you drive by and they have lines of cars sticking the your returns in the mailbox like that doesn't exist anymore what this makes
1: me think of is the uh simpsons episode where homer's um trying to get his tax return in on time and he 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 like finishes at the last minute and he puts it in the envelope and the envelope is like shaped like a football and, and he ends up like throwing it into the bin at the post oh, like office. Like Hail Mary so, yeah. He Hail marries it and it makes it into the bin and gets postmarked. Yeah. It's better than you filing. So I dropped a little link in the private
0: chat for you if you want to click on that, because this is probably even wor- worse than the story itself. So there's okay. a blog site called Best Life, and it's about like personal finances, investing, things like that. It's a it's a you know it's a it's a destination site on the internet. They basically took his article, fact checked it. If you see that, it got the it got that little stamp, fact checked, and they wrote a whole article on using his op-ed piece about his opinion piece about not doing e taxes. So 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 this crazy. What's- What's opinion the piece he wrote. This crazy opinion piece he wrote is being now used as a source of expertise in another blog site.
1: So now, now this is going to infect the generative AI large language models because they're going to take an opinion piece from the Wall Street Journal and start telling people all the uh, false arguments yeah. about why you shouldn't file your tax return electronically.
0: And then put a check mark on uh, it that says fact checked because. His his article is now the source of truth for crappier articles being written.
1: Going back to the Baker Tilly story, a uh, commenter in the live stream is is fact-checking me live, which is great because I don't have to issue it a correction in a later episode. Nicholas says asks, Nicholas asks, is the new entity created by BT a partnership, not corporation? And yeah, it looks like it has LP at the end, so I'm assuming it is a partnership. But uh, I think the point is that it's gonna be run more like a corporation. Like regardless of the legal structure, now with private equity having control of this entity, you can expect it to run more like a corporation versus a partnership where a bunch of people got to vote to get anything done. I mean, if it doesn't work like that, then it's not gonna, I, I don't see how the private equity firms are gonna make money because the thing's gotta like really move for them to get a return on their investment.
0: I have some more propaganda, maybe, that has to do with taxes. Okay. Have have that. So, and then we, I think we've seen some articles over the last couple of weeks about how, you know, the cost to get your taxes done is going to be more expensive this year. Right. And, and it's been pretty mainstream articles. Well, this article was in NBC News and says higher tax filing costs could take a bite out of your refund. And it talks about the shortage of accountants and why everybody's going to pay a little bit more for the return on average so in 2013 or i'm sorry in 2021 it was 213 dollars and now it's raising it's a in 2023 it's going to be about 248 for the average return and then the article goes in and really starts to plug the um irs's direct file service so in a way this feels like a propaganda article on plugging the irs's new service right look Mm -hmm. you could use this for free the direct file So that propaganda is out there. And then I don't know if you saw, um, 13 states' attorney generals are suing and signed a letter decrying the new IRS direct file system. Did you hear about this? No. So going back, remember the uh, Inflation Reduction Act? They kind of put together, I think it was $15 million at the time to research their own file system for the IRS you put well, that in air quotes but
1: they actually did do that right
0: they actually built it they did not just research it they've built it and launched it and so these attorney generals are saying that this is unconstitutional you, you basically <laughs> circumvented the entire constitution by launching this as a pilot program and not just doing the research so there's just there's a lot you of could, you could a argue that,
1: propaganda out there you could argue us, that a yeah. pilot program is part of the research I, 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 that's probably where i would come in on yes well Listeners of the show, fans of the show know that I love to talk about the pipeline problems in our profession. Uh, And I know sometimes I do it too much, but I can't help it when a headline like this pops up in my feed. This is from MIT management, Sloan School, the MIT Sloan School of Management, I should say. Uh, It's from research done by Andrew Sutherland, who is an associate professor of accounting at MIT Sloan. And the headline based on his study is, 150 hour rule for CPA certification causes a 26% drop in minority entrance. And the simple fact is that according to this study, when the 150 hour rule was enacted, it caused a 26% decline in black and Hispanic CPA, uh, candidates entry into the profession and a 14% drop overall. So we have from 1986 to 2019, a 14% decline overall in new CPAs entering the field following a given state's 150-hour rule enactment. 150-hour rule goes into place, 14% drop. And remember, that's not just one-time thing. That's like year after year after year. And then for Black and Hispanic populations, 26% drop in candidates. And we wonder... Why does the accounting profession have a diversity problem? Perhaps, as the survey suggests, it's because we put up expensive and unnecessary barriers to entry that deter candidates who have fewer financial resources, um, may have fewer financial resources, and time.
0: And it goes against, I mean, the AICPA for years keeps saying how they're, they're starting all these diversity initiatives, diversity, 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 and the most obvious fix is right in front of them yes right? and the most the, the most obvious root cause yeah uh,
1: and, if they actually care about solving this problem this is what they should do is get rid of this requirement
0: and, and when it comes to barriers to entry I, th- this was the biggest takeaway I w- and I may have said it on the show before I went to the National uh, Association of enrolled agents their big conference it was up in Scottsdale and I was shocked at how diverse it was and because a lot of accounting functions we go to is a bunch of white guys right mm-hmm. and but but then the bell hit me the reason it's so diverse is there's no barriers to entry in four months you can become an ea right you don't have to get 150 credit hours you i don't even i don't even know if you have to graduate high school to become an
1: ea you just got to become the I ea right just you just pass the exams pass the exams. And They're challenging you know it's, yeah. there's three of them it's not easy yeah but the diversity there was amazing
0: and and maybe that's another way uh, with this research is they should compare it to the diversity in
1: eas Mm-hmm. over time. Yeah. Now, the counter to the argument that we should get rid of the 150 hour rule is no, we can, we can keep it. We can keep this, you know, high standard and we can help increase the number of minority entrants by, uh, creating more scholarships, subsidizing the cost of the education. Well, I don't think that's possible because the cost of the 150 hour rule is not just the cost of the education, but it's the lost wages of that first year working. So I have calculated that the cost of the 150-hour rule in the United States is $2 billion a year. And that cost is mostly borne by the staff who are giving up wages and paying it instead to uh, universities for their MAC programs. Or uh, it's, it's also borne by the firms who then have fewer staffs, so they can't do as many engagements, they can't make as many, much profit, right? And, and so um, I don't think there's, you know, billions of dollars out there to subsidize all this stuff. Like, do we really want to be giving more money to universities that, uh, and this is a key point from the study, the universities' programs are not increasing service quality. There is no evidence that over this time, adding the extra year of education has increased service quality. And they studied that. And multiple studies have confirmed this. So the extra education does not lead to higher quality. It's just red tape and wasted time. Now I'm not saying that all masters are. I think there's plenty of people who go get a master's in accounting that get a lot of value out of it. And that's great because they'll continue to do that even after the rule is eliminated. If the master's actually adds value and increases your value in the marketplace, then you'll go do it regardless of whether or not it's required. That's my argument. Yeah. There's no
0: rules that you have to get an MBA, but people do it because they see some financial gain and benefit from getting their MBA. That makes sense. This episode of The Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Airbase. Airbase is the comprehensive procure-to-pay solution transforming how mid-market and early enterprise companies manage their spending. As your clients grow, so does the complexity of their financial operations. It's time your procure-to-pay process caught up. Airbase offers an exclusive program to help accounting practices to expand their services and deliver more value to their clients. And when you get your team quickly certified in Airbase's intuitive platform, you'll gain access to co-branded marketing assets, client referral tools, as well as revenue sharing and product discounts. Imagine having real-time oversight of your client's spending streamlined through configurable rules tailored to each client's needs. From procurement to payment, Airbase automates accounting, payment, and approval workflows, ensuring every dollar spent is a dollar accounted for. Whether you're aiming to diversify your firm's revenue streams or operate more efficiently, Airbase equips you with the innovative solutions and dedicated support needed for success. And with seamless integration into accounting systems like QuickBooks, Intact, and NetSuite, Airbase ensures that you are always ahead of the spend. If you are ready to revolutionize the way you manage procurement and payments and want to learn more about Airbase's account and partner program, head over to accountingpodcast.promo slash airbase. That is accountingpodcast.promo forward slash A-I-R-B-A-S-E.
1: Enough about that. Let's move on. Speaking of certifications, here's a story that I spotted in CPA Practice Advisor a while ago. It's called Dual certifications mean big bucks for accountants. So if you get your CPA, we know that you make more money. But what if you get more than just the CPA, right? What if you get the CMA as well? This article says that accountants in the US who are both CMAs and CPAs earn over 38,000 more than their non-certified peers. That's a lot of money every year. And there's a table in here, this is a study by the IMA, which administers the certified management accountant, the CMA credential. Um, if you have just a CPA, your median base salary in the Americas is $126,000 a year. If you have just the CMA, it's $120,000 a year. If you have neither, it's $99,000 a year. But if you have both, it's round up. a year. So that's a big difference. Big jump. Yeah. So, you know, if you're thinking about getting the CMA, let's say you already have a CPA, you could make an extra on average, $10,000 a year. Um, and if you have a CMA and you get your CPA, you could make another $6,000 a year or no, you can make another seventeen, eighteen thousand $18,000 a year. So let's say, let's just say roughly you could make 10 to $20,000 more per year. If you already have one certification and you go get the other, and if you have none, you know if you if you take the time to go out and get your CPA and your CMA, you've just increased your annual earnings by thirty eight thousand dollars. That's a really good ROI, actually. Of course, then you have to balance that with going back to school to get five years, thirty extra hours of education. Yes. Right, that's a lot of time. Got to sit for both exams. So you got to do this calculation. Uh, but I think this is really helpful. Um, so it shows that there still is value now. Now one question is, is this causation or correlation, right? So are people who tend to get dual certifications just more likely to make more money in general? And I don't know if, if that's true or not.
0: I think that that's similar to that, uh, parents that pursue or try to get their kids into a certain school. It's not really the school it's just the the environment the parents have or caring about their children's education actually helps the child be successful and mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with the school but yeah you're right it's you know are these
1: people just making more money because they're just better people i yep. don't know yeah. i'm jumping around david a lot um let's go back to tech news google has released gemini and they are retiring bard so anyone who has attended my artificial intelligence Webinars that I've been doing recently knows that I'm not a big fan of Bard because it's not a great Large language model it lagged behind ChatGPT and Claude. So I just haven't really even used it Mm -hmm. Google has been has been playing catch-up and they have a new model out that they say is almost as good as GPT-4 and They've replaced Bard. They've renamed Bard. It's now Gemini. It's using this new model and you can try it out now so if you have a Gmail account or if you have a Google for work account like you and I do, David, uh, you can now go to Gemini.Google.com and you can test it out. Yeah, I was just looking at my phone to see if they shoved an app on my Google Pixel,
0: but I didn't see one yet.
1: So I might as well just go to it. You know, let's let's see. Um, here's Gemini on the screen for those of us who are listening. Do we want to try something? Like, what would be something that is tough to do in ChatGPT, David? Maybe let's just ask it the question: like, um, you know, should I get both a CPA and a CMA? Let's see if it can figure this out. Whether or not you should pursue both a CPA and CMA depends on your specific career goals and aspirations. Both certifications are valuable in the accounting field, but they offer different benefits and they cater to different career paths. Here's a breakdown. And then we've got bullet points under CPA and bullet points under CMA. Here are some things to consider when making your decision. Three bullet points. It's generally not necessary to have both certifications and most have just one. Interesting. And it gives you some resources. Um, What's the difference in salary? Would I would I make more money? And hopefully it'll go do a Google search and it'll give us the answer.
0: So is that the big difference with this new launch from Google is it's gonna utilize Google searches and then give you source docs in the same way that Microsoft Bing one or whatever that's called now co in the browser. <laughs> they, they, they all keep renaming their things yeah. now. Well,
1: so this is like where Google has an advantage because Google search is the best search. So yep. if they pair it with the AI, And now I can do Google searches inside of Gemini. I think that is a real competitor to Copilot and could keep Microsoft from stealing Google's core search business. Um, The question is just, you know, how well is it implemented? So it's got links here now to an IMA article on salary data comparisons. Yeah. Like this is not bad. I'm going to play around with this more. Instead of doing Google searches, I'm going to try using Gemini to start and see how it goes, and I'll report back to you guys on that.
0: It's interesting how all of these uh, AI tools, these chat tools are all starting to look and taste the same. And, and it's kind of like the the four-door sedan, right, in America, mm-hmm. right? The four-door cross-hatchback cross, cross hatchback car, they, like you get 20 different brands and they all look the same, essentially. It's almost like, what is it gonna be like, oh, it's the coffee cup holder, slightly different in this one, this one. Well, it be to the point where it doesn't matter which one you pick, they're all pretty much equivalent.
1: Well, that's the thing about LLMs is that there's nothing proprietary about the technology. Anyone can make one. So no. like yeah, like you said, this might just become a commodity. I, but I think what's going to become the proprietary is the data set that is trained on. So if you have really good source articles, your LLM will produce good results. Right? And that's why it's really important when you are doing research that you upload PDFs or you provide explicit directions to ChatGPT to only research a certain website. And that way it doesn't hallucinate results that you don't want.
0: Yeah. So, so speaking of the data it's been trained on, ADP just launched their assistant. And of course, it's a very creative name, ADP Assist, because nobody has any good names for these tools as they come out. Everybody just keeps putting the word assist uh, next to their brand name. But what's int- what caught my eye with the ADP one is what they trained it on. So they trained it on over 1 million ADP clients in 140 countries and 40 million, 41 million wage earners. Now, so wait, what is it? we can't what play it do? with this. <laughs> we, uh, it, 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 so they have some screenshots. Let me add this to the live feed so I'm here. thinking,
1: okay, they've trained it on wage data and HR data, but what is that... What can I do with that? Well, that's what's funny about this, because what they
0: show and their screenshots on the website when you actually try to, you know, because you can't play with it, right? It's not open for us to do. And in one example they give, where it detects that somebody's wages are higher than normal.
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: OnPay already does this in the app, and they've been doing it for every time time the payroll's a little over 15% different, they pop a message like this, right? Um, It also has a... You know, oh, you're missing some tax IDs for uh, these I'm assuming these are W nine or 1099 vendors, mm-hmm. right? And that's like, do you have the tax ID? So yes, I have the ID. Please enter the ID, right? So, it, their examples they give actually are not good. So I would really love to see what they're using that amazing data to do. It would be great to play with it or see what that is because the, the examples they give are just not great. Mm. Um, it's it's, but, it's actually disappointing to see the examples they're doing.
1: But but that is a good example, the one you gave, even though. Payroll companies have been doing this for a while, some of them yeah. anyway, is, is looking at the historical data and then figuring out if the payroll you're about to process is wrong somehow, it differs from the trend. So that's how you detect stuff like fake employees yeah. or bank accounts that have been changed. And in the past, this has all been done with rules-based programming. The payroll companies themselves had to decide what are the issues we want to detect and then code rules to then identify that. But with an AI, ADP or any payroll company that does this can simply feed the historical payroll for your company into the AI, and then ask it to detect potential anomalies such as changed bank accounts. It can we, and we can suggest. Yeah, that. you don't, don't have don't, to
0: think of everything yourself. We don't have to tell it exactly,
1: right? Like detect a significant material change in somebody's salary, right? Or I don't know. What are the other issues that can happen? Whatever all the other issues are that can happen with payrolls going wrong?
0: Right. I think, uh, I, you know, an easy one is, and I've seen this forever, is you always forget to put your unemployment rate or you put it in wrong or they send it to you as a percentage, but then the app has you type it in as a decimal and those types of things. Like, you're right. They think you compare that against other similar businesses. Like, hey, you might not have this unemployment rate set up correctly mm-hmm. or versus the other peers. So. I just feel like they're concerned the data they use to train it, I want some more exciting examples of
1: what it does and maybe we will maybe we'll get more um, eventually going back to Gemini, I forgot to mention that Gemini now generates images too so I asked it to generate an image of a happy accountant and I got two images I got an old white guy wearing glasses with slick back hair and kind of a boring business suit and a yellow tie and a and a is that a taupe colored shirt, you know, like a, like, like tannish, gray, brownish. Tan, yeah. In that, that range. Yeah. It's yeah. perfect. He looks exactly like what I would, the stereotypical image of an accountant, but then also it gave us a, uh, a woman sitting on her desk in a yellow jacket and shirt, uh, perhaps Indian descent, uh, raising her fist up in the air. So like, she's not the, the stereotypical accountant. That's great. I did guess you ask for
0: two pictures or did it just did it, that on its own? It just
1: gave me two and then I can say generate more. And now I'm waiting for it to generate two more images of happy accountants. we got a black guy here with his coffee mug. Um, kind of like cheersing somebody whose hand looks like, oh my God. It's always the hands. The <laughs> this hands is, this is disturbing the right here. This, this hand is missing all fingers. It looks like a lobster claw. And this is uh, why I want to see that video of the fake...
0: Uh, and then we've got a young, call.
1: a young, perhaps Hispanic or Pacific Islander woman in a red jacket holding a pencil, and she looks like she has the correct number of fingers here, with sort of like longer. But she got uh, has a weird left hair.
0: forearm. Her left forearm <laughs> seems weird. Like, like, like it's it's like half a hand sticking out. It's kind <laughs> of strange. That's how I want to see this video of the fake for the uh, the Zoom call. Like I want to see like is it is it that good? Or is this guy just
1: doofus? Well, and he
0: didn't, he couldn't detect it. I don't know. And,
1: and maybe, uh, it had, to, it was possible because of the like cultural differences. Like, so apparently this is a call with the UK CFO and this guy's in Hong Kong. Okay. Right. Yeah. And maybe he doesn't, maybe he's never even met this person in person, this person in real life. Yeah. And you could say, oh, connection issues. Like my video is not very right. good. So like the blurriness of the video, the lack of quality that the the distortions could and the all pressure be
0: tur- just the pressure you're going to not notice things cuz you're yeah yeah this this
1: I'm, is the cfo calling me telling me to do something a secret and urgent right i better do it yeah yeah that's how i think that probably happened well that's all the time we have for this week if you are a regular listener and you want to give us feedback we are eager to hear it go to accounting.show/survey and take our listener survey it takes five to 10 minutes. And I know that because I asked my wife to take it. And she's like, this takes about five to 10 minutes. So <laughs> it, it, it's only five to 10 minutes. You tell us a little bit about yourself. And then we ask you what, what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, what topics you want to hear from us more. You know, if there's certain things you want me to stop talking about, you can tell me that. If you want to hear about more things, you can tell us about that. We are very eager to get your feedback and improve the show. Uh, and it helps us in terms of our sponsors they want to know who's listening so giving us some information about whether or not you're a cpa or an ea or where you work do you work in public accounting or corporate that kind of stuff really helps us And Um,
0: and i think we've had 100 people fill it out now i would love at like we get to 500 of you to fill it out and then we could come to the show a lot of that's data we could share it's kind of interesting like here here's who you are listeners of the podcast here's the other people that are listening because sometimes podcasting is it's, it's very intimate and uh, solo, right? Yeah. It's me, you, and the person we're in the ears of. And they don't know who else is listening to the podcast. It would be great to paint that yeah. picture for them. Yeah.
1: And, you know, 100, It's I, I I don't know actually statistically how many responses we need to get to have a statistical sample. We should probably ask that of AI. Um, but, you know, we reach like over 100,000 people with this show in a year. And so I don't think 100 is enough. I think we need to get to... More.
0: Yeah, I feel like right now just friends and
1: family filled it out.
0: <laughs> As I can tell by well, we some of the verbatim it, responses, but we just I want started to learn this more. survey, yeah. right?
1: We, and yeah. we should probably talk about it at the beginning of the show, not at the end. Uh, it'll be in the show notes, but also you can just go to accounting.show slash survey. That's accounting.show slash survey. And don't forget you can earn free continuing professional education credits. NASBA approved CPE is available for listening to this show and other podcasts on the Earmark app. Go to earmarkcpe.com, or search for earmark in the App Store or Google Play Store. Download the free app. Find this episode. The course will be available in about a week after this episode releases, and uh, get your free CPE. And don't wait until the end of the year. And be happy. And get outside. You're getting outside, right? You're heading out. Yeah, I'm going skiing this weekend. I'm so excited cannot wait i gotta actually like sign off and pack finish packing and go to the airport
0: it's gonna be good though because it did this big winter river whatever atmospheric river that went oh through yeah California yeah
1: dump lots of new snow
0: i guess i was
1: super worried because southwest colorado where i'm going uh had not nearly enough snow and it just got dumped on this last week because of this atmospheric river as we call it here in arizona it's just a monsoon right but uh yeah, lots of snow. So I'm, I'm really excited and going to go relax, t- take a breather, come back, get focused, and um, work on building your mark. Enjoy. Thanks, David. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And we'll see you here next week.
0: Time for The Classifieds. Looking for an amazing and intimate conference experience this fall? Join Hector Garcia's CPA in his second annual Reframe Workshop on October 24th to 26th, 2024 at the stunning Oceanfront Diplomat Resort in Hollywood, Florida. The theme this year is influential conversations for accountants. Come share and collaborate with 200 other accounting pros that want to level up the way they communicate their value and become more influential with their conversations. Go to reframe2024.com to get your ticket with early bird pricing through February 28th. Last the conference sold out early, so head to reframe2024.com to get your early bird pricing. Want to make learning QuickBooks Online a breeze for your staff or clients while pocketing some extra cash? Royalwise.com's OWASP platform is the perfect solution with over 100 hours of in-depth QuickBooks training content spanning more than 40 topics. Join the partner program and become a vital link in the education chain. Share custom affiliate links with your bookkeeping team and small business clients and see the rewards roll in with every successful referral. You're not just earning cash, you're connecting your network to valuable CP credits and lessons led by one of Ignition's top 50 women in accounting, Alicia Katz, pull it. Enhance your service offerings and earn with each referral. Join today royalwise.com partner. That's royalwise.com partner. Stop settling for slow payments and say hello to the future of AR with Forwardly. Accounts that use Forwardly can receive payments in less than 22 seconds. Yes, under 22 seconds via the newly launched FedNow network. And if your bank or a client's bank doesn't yet use FedNow, Forwardly will send the payment via same-day ACH for free. To get paid in under 22 seconds, go to forwardly.com. That's forwardly.com. Ever wonder what your CAST tech stack should be? Ever wonder how profitable a CAS firm is? Ever wonder what CAS, C-A-A-S, and CAS 2.0 are? You should read Luke Templin's new newsletter called the CAS Cash. The CAS Cash newsletter is designed to help accounting firms grow their CAS offerings. The subscription is free. Head to cas.beehive.com. That is C-A-S dot with two eyes.com.